Fox Audio, I'm Carson Sestuli. With all but four teams uh, either having been or about to be eliminated in Major League Baseball play, it's only natural that the sporting fan will turn his attention to gridiron football occasionally. The difficulty of that sport, of course, is that its depths are relatively unplumbed by the sports nerd. Luckily, there is one man, Brian Burke, of Advanced NFL Stats, uh, who's come close to plumbing those depths. If not entirely, then at least more than most people. Mr. Burke is my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, and in what follows, we discuss, for example, what concepts uh, and advanced metrics uh, do and do not translate uh, from baseball to football. We look at the uh, most glaring uh, inefficiencies in football strategy and, and Brian's take on those. And we talk, for example, uh, about the perfect running back and how that might differ from, for example, the perfect fantasy football running back. In the interest of full disclosure, I, I will state that, in fact, I, Carson Sestula, write a weekly column for Advanced NFL Stats, but I've done so only after approaching Mr. Burke because of the quality of his site. With that admission out of the way, let's now turn to my conversation with Brian Burke of Advanced NFL Stats. Fangraphs Audio, my guest is the Brian Burke, uh, maybe not the only Brian Burke in the world, but the only one who uh, makes sense to have on the show, at least for the moment. Um, Brian, you're there, is that right? I'm here. Yes, I am, Carson. Uh, joining us from, uh, I think, maybe not too far from Washington, D.C., although you don't need to reveal that. You can say that that's entirely false. No, yep, uh, from uh, Herndon, Virginia. Her- Herndon. Yeah. What goes on in Herndon? Uh, a lot of secret things go on in Herndon. Ooh. There's a lot of contractors out here for the Defense Department and for uh, other three uh, three letter agencies. Oh yeah, yeah. oh that's exciting. More acronyms. Yeah, lots of acronyms. Right, as many acronyms as there are in sabermetrics. Yeah. Oh okay, well that's exciting. Yeah, I think uh, as you know, uh, baseball nerds and uh, football nerds maybe too are sort of just like a pat- preternaturally drawn to acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, yes. regardless. We actually have acronyms within acronyms. So, like one letter of the acronym will stand for a whole other acronym. So they're like nested. So it, it gets even nerdier than that. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. And uh, I hope we uh, we look at that in depth uh, later on in this interview. Uh, first, let's uh, let's get to the uh, the brassiest of tacks, uh, which is uh, the fact that you run this site, Advanced NFL Stats, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be called a lot of things, although one thing that it may or may not uh, make sense to call it, but is intriguing nonetheless, would be the fan graphs of football. Uh, at some level, this mm-hmm. is literal uh, because you've recently hired, uh, I guess, four new writers, and three of them, uh, Mark Hewlett, Jack Moore, and Zach Sanders, actually write for fan graphs. Um, yep. I also know, uh, and, I, and I should say in the interest of full disclosure, I, I mean very much, I, I also write a weekly piece for Advanced NFL Stats. Um, but it should be noted the reason I do that, or, and, and the reason I'm having this interview now, is not be necessarily because I'm trying to uh, further my own cause, although I have no problems with doing that. Um, but it's because I was attracted to the site initially because it seems to offer some of the things uh, for football that I like about uh, baseball. But let's talk about that. That's that's the thing I'm interested in, and, and mm-hmm. that you probably know the best is what what do we know? What I mean, what what can stats? Wh- how far can stats get us in football? How is it uh, similar to what people might be used to with fan graphs, and how is it different? 
Well, let me, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. First, first let me say um, the call advanced NFL stats, like the fan graphs of, of, uh, for football, is, would be a very, very high compliment. Um, I, it, there, there's a lot of overlap, not just because uh, many of the, the analysts and writers you know, have um, uh, come over and, and started to do some things on, on my site, also, but uh, the the live uh, win probability or win expectancy, depending on your point of view, graphs, and that was always something I thought was just super cool, and I didn't even as an idea, and uh, I didn't even know about fan graphs. In fact, I started crunching numbers on football in total ignorance of, and this is going to sound like heresy, of Bill James and uh, all the other kind of heavyweights of. Uh, sabermetrics that have kind of come before us and gradually over time people started pointing these out things out to me hey you know this this nut's already been cracked but uh, i forged on anyway just kind of on my own path and um so there's some natural overlap but then once i became aware of fan graphs and and what we did you know kind of in common that really became my benchmark and i thought gosh one day maybe you know, in a long time from now, maybe one day it'll be that good and that slick and, and professional. So we're still, still, that's still the benchmark. You know, it's still kind of a goal, but, uh, but definitely fan, Fangraphs has, has been my favorite site for baseball for a long time. Um, and to the point of the stats that you hold, I mean, you have, there are a lot of stats that advanced NFL stats. Um, not for nothing. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the name of the website. What, what do you sort of see as, uh, especially for someone who is, say, familiar with fan graphs already and is comfortable with advanced stats, um, as you'd have to be to, to be comfortable with fan graphs, a person who is going to advanced NFL stats for the first time, because it can be pretty overwhelming. Uh, what, mm-hmm. like, what would sort of be, like, if you were to say, like, what's the entry point, especially for a baseball fan um, who likes football, who likes advanced stats? What's the sort of entry point do you think for getting into advanced NFL stats? I guess the bread and butter of what we do. There's, I guess, there's a few things. Um, you know, first of all, we have kind of team team rankings and game predictions, and then that extrapolates into kind of playoff predictions. So we, um, you know, the, the the team the team rankings and game predictions are, are based on. Um, a regression model, logistic regression, and uh, takes team efficiency stats. Kind of throws a lot of things out the window that that previous kind of football metrics, football analytics had, had kind of taken as gospel, and kind of throws that out the window. Kind of boils things down to just the core, um, and tries to weed out a lot of the the non-repeating, very noisy, random element of the game. And then, um, so we we have team rankings, game predictions, playoff predictions. So that that's kind of one element, to, and that's that's a good way to kind of get um, you know kind of an entry point. But I think maybe the things in common now every sport has win probability, so every sport has win probability added, and you can do the same things that you can you can use that win probability added for baseball. You can do the same things in football. So. It's really it's really a narrative stat. It's not very predictive, but it tells a story. It puts a number on the story. And so if you look at a guy's career, you know, Kurt Warner just retired a couple of years ago, and there's a big debate about, okay, is he Hall of Fame worthy? How His career wasn't that long. You know, how can we tell whether or not he 
belongs in the Hall of Fame. Well, hey, let's go back to his win probability added and, and look at that. Or we can use the win probability model to do strategic analysis in terms of you know, play selection or fourth down decisions or onside kicks and things like that. In the same way in baseball, you're looking at uh, should he steal or not, should he hit away or should he bunt. Um, those kinds of strategic decisions are, are analyzed. We have a few more stats. Um, expected points is a framework um, for kind of net point potential. You know, think of it as sort of potential energy maybe in, in a physics term. You know, how much net point advantage does a team have um, by virtue of where they are in the field and what down and distance they have. And you can you can do strategic decision making uh, using that model as well. And it's, it, I guess, analogous to maybe a runs created uh, type metric uh, or uh, uh, WOBA, uh, however you guys pronounce that. And um, and and so it's, it's kind of a more of a, a, a linear linear model than uh, win probability, which is, is very sort of context dependent. Right. So let's let's look at uh, one thing that that I know that I've found very interesting um, is is the idea of uh, and I think sort of one of my favorite posts that I believe did it in four parts at the at the site is uh, is called What Wins Football Games or something to that effect in which you um, you, yep. you sort of break down this logistic regression and. I guess the exciting part of it is looking at what actually wins football games for teams, and mm-hmm. it stands in some contrast, um, occasionally marked contrast to, to those things that we hear um, analysts discussing, uh, uh, you know, during uh, or you know commentators discussing um, during during games themselves, uh, which you know for yeah. fans of FanGraphs this will not be a foreign concept, but uh, but it's maybe a little bit more obscure for football. Or maybe because they say it in the even more baritone type voices. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're bigger people telling you that, so you have to believe them. But uh, I, I know, I know to start off with, like in term, in, when you uh, look at the coefficients, that certainly yards per pass attempt is pretty important. Can you sort of talk about that, and then the other parts that that lead to wins most directly, or don't lead to wins? I guess is the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Uh, the, the post is called "What Makes Teams Win," and it, it's actually a little bit dated. I mean, those, those I've, I've built upon that since then. That might be four four years old or so. That's one of the first things I did. And um, the the uh, the point is to kind of weigh the different facets of the game. There in football, there you know you have your passing, you got your running, you've got turnovers, you've got penalties, and you can you know. There are different classes of uh, of play types that that um, uh, that occur in football, and it's pretty clear you can you can run them, run them through a regression, and you can get an explanation, sort of a retrospective, not not predictive yet, but a retrospective of what explains a team winning a game. So you've got a big data set, a whole bunch of games or season win totals however you want to do it and you run this through a regression you say my gosh look you know passing offensive passing in particular is is really the king here um, turnovers obviously matter uh, penalties matter this much and so you can just get these coefficients get these weights and you can understand that um, you know that certain parts of the game are far more important in terms of winning than we've been told that, for example running football Unlike baseball, the sport itself has changed 
dramatically over the past several decades. Um, and uh, maybe that's not so true of baseball with all the the, uh, the big home run totals and everything over the past several years. But in any way, football is, since the 70s, in 1978, they changed the passing rules, and it made a huge difference. Teams were slow to catch on, but over time, over 10, 20 years, they began to catch on. I don't... I still think they're still not fully exploiting the passing game. But back in the 70s, the old Steelers teams, it was a running sport. And so these these coaches and commentators, these guys grew up under that kind of uh, rubric where, where running was king. And things have completely changed now. And so um, that's probably the biggest, the biggest um I don't know, the biggest mistake these commentators you hear constantly is establishing the run and um, how important smash-mouth football is to winning games. Running is, is very important in certain situations, but not nearly the way um, you know, the, the way these commentators talk about it. Yeah, it's sort of strange, too. And, and of course, like recently, uh, Adrian Peterson got a pretty big contract. Um, and probably, I would guess, uh, fantasy football um, continues to perpetuate the importance mm-hmm. of, oh, yeah. of the running back. But really, it, it, yeah. when you look at it, you know, if you just, even uh, with the naked eye, like, if you scroll all of the teams in the league by yards per pass attempt, that's that's roughly a list of the best offenses. Um, yes. And if you look... Yeah, if, absolutely. And, and the running backs are pretty much along for the ride on that. So, you, you know, you're going to have guys like Danny Woodhead, who's... You know, he's a New England running back, for those that don't know, who's kind of like an undrafted free agent, you know, picked up off the scrap heap. Well, he's essentially, England. he's the he's, he's the David Eckstein of football, basically. I mean... Kind of, yeah, but it's not because of any sort of uh, virtue or ability or talent that he necessarily possesses. He's just along for the ride on a, on a great team, on a system. So, you know, the passing game opens up the, uh, the running game. And that's one of the most interesting things of football to me is the game theory aspect. The same way in baseball, you have, you know, fastball, breaking ball kind of game theory. You know, you, you, you know, you have these two strategy options, and you have an optimum mix. And what is that optimum mix? And, and you have to randomize them and things. So, the better your running game, the better your passing game is going to be, and vice versa. Um, but in the modern day, the modern day game. It's passing that that's king and, and kind of rules everything. So, yeah, if you scroll team, you know, the list of like great top-notch running backs, you know, from in the last decade, like from Frank Gore and Westbrook and uh, um, well, Peterson uh, or Johnson, you know, Peterson, Chris Johnson, and and you look at, you know, have they led their team really to anything? No, not at all. I mean, if you know, Peterson went to an NFC Championship game, but really, if you look at the team around him, it was really because they happened to have a fantastic passing game that year. Favre was having that miracle year, and you know, had Sidney Rice. So, you know, Peterson was it was a big part of it. It helps. You want to have a good running back. You want to have a guy who can can you know break away and, and get some long chunks of yards for you. But really, the, the running game is really misunderstood. Uh, even I don't. I, I know it sounds arrogant to say this, but I think coaches, even current coaches, really don't know what they're doing with their running games. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I, I, I'm watching the Packers play yesterday, and of course, I live in Madison, Wisconsin now, and, I, and that's a team I get to see quite a bit. Uh, there was a um, whomever, whoever was calling the game said that he talked to Mike McCarthy, and McCarthy said, uh, "We we pass to set up the run," 
which is the opposite of what you generally hear. And I don't think it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's considered not heretical at some level, but it's considered uh, oddballish, right? Or not mm-hmm. yeah. so, somehow yeah. not footbally, not footbally. And yet the Packers mm-hmm. win. And another team, like you mentioned, the the, the uh, Patriots that have you know kind of no real running game. I mean, they they run for they certainly run well, but it's not because they have elite physical talent at the position it's because um they set it up with the pass but those are the those are essentially the two best offensive teams in the league and then you have another team in the in the uh saints who gets rid of who the guy who's supposed to be like their dynamic playmaker in the backfield and reggie bush and their offense Mm -hmm. is actually better this year so far yeah they're they're um Right, they just brought in Darren Sproles, and and he he filled in that role quite well. The uh, the big thing about running is this uh, number called uh, the stat called success rate, and it it's just, it's simple, um, simple. You know, was it was it a successful play? Did it increase my my point potential, my expected points, or did it decrease? Did that run play decrease? Either yes or no, one or zero, and that percentage. For running plays, averages around 42%. And if you try to correlate that statistic with um, with uh, um, with winning, it's it's really it's significant. It's big. It, but if you try to correlate, say, yards per carry with winning, the correlation value is very small. And also, when you put it in a larger larger regression model, you get the same you get similar results. So. It's really running isn't about your home run hitters. It's not really about Chris, your Chris Johnsons or your Adrian Petersons. It's really about getting guys who uh, don't fumble. Number one and number two are able to um, not set you back, and that that's that's what's most important. So you don't want second and nines and and uh, third and sixes. You want a guy who necessarily can can break off a 60-yard run for you, but is relatively assured of getting you a five-yard gain. And running is particularly important in, in two specific locations, short yardage and red zone in, you know, near the goal line. Because of the compression of the field, the defense, the secondary has a lot less area to defend. And so the game theory um, equilibrium changes in favor of the run. And so you want to run. Teams don't run enough, actually, inside the red zone. And they don't also run enough on third and short. They need they need to run more often um, on third and short. You know, it's interesting, um, and I think that the the numbers uh, can help us do this. But like, if you were to construct, because partially what you're talking about too, it's like you if you you know a running back who can guarantee you four or five yards, that's sort of the running back. But at a certain point, it's also the offensive line, right? Absolutely. Offensive line, I think, is, I mean, statistically very, very difficult to to measure. Um, But, uh, you know, in terms of where you want to put your money, um, you know, you can sink your money into a guy like Chris Johnson, or you can can pay, you can get some great offensive linemen, veterans, you know, free agents. And then they're used in, you know, the offensive linemen are critical in in both uh, passing and running. You know, whereas your running back is, yeah, he can be an outlet guy. Yeah, he can pick up a blitz, but not nearly the way as critical as your offensive line is going to be. So, uh, in terms of sort of market inefficiencies, it's very, very difficult to measure individual player contributions the way you can in baseball. Maybe we can talk about that some. But 
you know, the one big inefficiency I found is that running backs are way overpaid, way overpaid. What would, um, if we're talking about constructing, especially uh, relative to the amount that you'd pay him, constructing the like the best case scenario running back? I mean, is it is it one of these guys? It seems to me it's not necessarily a guy who's like a crazy great runner, but maybe a guy who is a good receiver and a good blocker. I mean, like a like a. I mean, certainly Kevin Folk for the for those Patriots teams. Or Darren Sproles, who you mentioned, or the guy who's taken his place in San Diego, Mike Tolbert, for example, they all seem to have these skills where, where they have good hands and they're they're good blockers and they can and they can run if you need them to. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, you you see these guys like Sproles and uh, Ricky Williams, uh, not Ricky Williams, but um, I'm sorry, the uh, we just talked about him a second ago, the um, uh, Saints running back who went to the Dolphins. Oh, Reggie um, Bush. Reggie Bush. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, 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 the second coming of the uh, Saints savior running back, I guess, after Ricky Williams. And so so you have these guys you can who are really big threats in the open field, you know, small, fast guys who are pass targets. So Ray Rice is a great example of a guy who's not big, he's not a goal line type guy, although he, he can be successful, um, in short yardage, but his big threat is catching a pass and getting in the open field. There's, he's so elusive. So there's that kind of guy, and I think those are those guys are valuable. Um, and then, so you want a guy like that, and then you want another guy who you can bring in who's a who's just a uh, a short yardage specialist who's really going to bring a lot of inertia to the party and um, and get that uh, you know third and two pick up that first down the kind of guy at the end of the game when you've got a lead and you're running out the clock you only need a couple first downs to seal a three-point win yeah you you don't need a home run hitter but you need a guy who's going to get you four yards four yards four yards four yards and not fumble so and ideally ideally because of the hard salary cap in football it's a zero-sum game so the ideal running back is somebody that doesn't cost you very much money either so um that's why these low round draft pick type rookies and and guys in their rookie contracts, those guys are, um, you know, probably better overall for your football team than the high priced superstar uh, fantasy uh, fantasy guy. Right, right, right. Now you did. Um, we've gone over a couple of things that I want to sort of to get back on to. Is um, one of them is measuring individual contributions. Yeah. Um, and this is the thing that because it's a turn-based game, baseball really lends itself to. Um, and in football, uh, like maybe in basketball, for example, although for slightly different reasons, it's it's a little bit harder to parse out. I mean, probably much harder to parse mm-hmm. out. Can you, can you talk about some of the the complications and how far we can get and also how much we should sort of temper our expectations in, with regard to measuring individuals? Yeah, yeah, no, that's the... Um that's a great kind of holy grail of, of football stats would be to one day somehow parse apart, you know, each individual player's contribution to, to team performance. Um, and, uh, it, you know, like you mentioned, baseball is, is sequential kind of, uh, uh, serial, um, type game. It's a very linear process. You know, it's this orderly sequence of kind of one-on-one matchups, batter, pitcher, batter, pitcher. And then football is this parallel process, right? So going back to electrical engineering uh, classes, right? So you have your, your serial circuits and you have your parallel circuits. 
and in this you have this 22 player parallel system and where every matchup and combination of matchups is affecting all the others and so you know if you wanted to make a regression out of it you know you'd have all these interaction terms you know so let's say you have a we, let's just pretend you could take players and rate them on a you know, one to ten rating, like you know, guys do with with girls all the time, right? So, you know, ten is is perfect. One yeah. is, is is terrible. So let's say you have a running back who's a a nine, and you have an offensive line that that averages out to like a three. You know, so in baseball maybe that all adds up to a twelve, right? Nine plus three. In football it adds up to maybe a four because of that interaction effect. That that offensive line is really holding back your your superstar running back, but Let's say you have an offensive line that's a nine and a running back that's a nine. You don't get 18. You're going to get maybe 81, right? Because that offensive line is opening up holes, and now that running back is, you know, running to daylight all day long. So there are these interactions, um, and it's not additive. Uh, but you know what? We do it anyway. We we <laughs> keep the stats on these players anyway. Um, and one one good reason is that over a long, at least over a long career things tend to even out. Yeah, okay, this running back, he had some great offensive lines and he had some bad ones. He played against some some terrible opponents and played against some great opponents. And we can at least sort of, we can get an idea over a long career, um, some idea. Uh, the, the, other, the other thing is these numbers are, no matter, you know, one idea behind statistics is sort of to identify kind of pure platonic value or talent level and the other idea of statistics is to simply document what happened. You know, somebody had to be the best. Somebody caught all those touchdowns. Somebody got all those yards. And so we, we've been trying. We we do use football statistics. You know, we're going to use statistics. We might as well use good ones. So but let's use the ones that really matter and are really relevant. Figure out which 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 those are, and then and then use those. So right. right. So we're yep, pretty good the, now. That's a big difference. We're pretty good now, or decent at least at saying what a player and certainly what a team did do uh, mm, and, right. and, and you're okay or pretty good at probably at saying what a team as a whole will do because, because right. just because of the number of plays and you know per game or whatever and in the regression model it's able to you're able to kind of detect what the team as a whole is doing the harder thing will is sort of looking at an individual player and saying like here here's this guy's true talent level yeah, I mean that, that's true. That's that's really difficult. But even like you, you, we can answer some questions that have been really kind of just been conjecture answered with conjecture for a long, long time. So if you just take win probability added and apply it to players, and you take a look at a team like I'm a Baltimore guy, right? So I'm a big Ravens fan. So in 2000, we had this like all galaxy um, defense and this offense that was. Um, below average to say the least and they managed to win a Super Bowl and so you look at it and you say well really you know how good was that defense it's really really hard to tell because uh, they had this offense that held them back or put them in bad positions and and so if we look at the win probability added total for the offense and the win probability added for the defense now you can start to parse apart and say hey what what portion of each win was thanks to that defense and which portion was thanks to the offense and just how much was that offense holding back that team and you can do that for every team and you can look for you can look at just this week uh Alex Smith he had this great 
come from behind uh, victory um, over uh, uh, you know as an underdog. He's the for those who don't know, he's quarterback of the 49ers, and he's had a miserable career. But he had people say he had a career day on Sunday, but they say that only because they happened to win the game. He actually he actually played quite poorly, and win probability added tells us that even though it's not predictive, it's still it's still a great measurement tool for assessing you know credit and blame. Another thing you mentioned was with regard to uh, weekly team team rankings and game predictions. Um, the team rankings is just uh, sort of the application of your regression model, and you come up with something called generic win percentage, which is like if if this team played a a totally league average team, how would they do? And then the predictions mm-hmm. with the game predictions, you, you sort of take that and then apply it to the specific matchups in any in any given week. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious as to going through this, and, and I should say that the team rankings are always available each week at the site, and then the predictions are actually uh, at the New York, you do those through the New York Times. Um, yeah, yeah, they they actually pay me real money. Yeah, which is shocking. Them, which, yeah, is, shocking. which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> shocking to everybody. Well, what is uh, going through that, and, and now you've done it for a while, I'm curious as to what you've learned from that experience, both in terms of maybe surprises you see in um, the matchups themselves, or you know the the, the the probabilities that you come up with, or in people's reactions to them, because I know that those are diverse sometimes as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess in in terms of what I've actually learned about the sport is um, that the prediction model. It, these are really really small sample sizes. I mean, football and baseball very different sports, so it's not exactly the same thing. Doesn't translate exactly, but I mean, a full season is one-tenth of a season in baseball. Imagine trying to just take the first 16 games of in, of any team in the major league and trying to extrapolate and predict what their um, eventual outcome will be. But here in, in NFL, your season's already over. So it's it's um, you got to take them with a grain of salt. Usually the, the prediction algorithm actually does a little bit better than Vegas, but it's not enough, not not good enough to kind of beat the uh, the vague, as they say. I guess there's a uh, you know a tax every time you gamble. Right, right. So it's not it's not really you know I'm, I'm not going heading off to quitting my day job. Um, to um, that's for sure. But what it does is it kind of identifies wh- where conventional wisdom has kind of gone off the track, and so it's it says um, it looks at teams that are really really overrated by the media and really puts them in their place. And it looks at teams that are underrated. Maybe you know, maybe they've had a really, really tough strength of schedule so far, um, and they've actually got some really great internal statistics. They've just had some bad luck, or they've had some bad special teams play, which is tends to be non-repeating. And so you've got, um, and so it's great for identifying those kind of teams, those kind of diamonds in the rough, or identifying teams that are really sort of the media darlings of the day. Who are about to fall down to earth? Well, uh, in in sort of uh, two teams that were examples of uh, you know opposite ends of the spectrum in that regard last year were the Atlanta Falcons, um, who, yeah. who were sort of uh, universally beloved and then got whipped uh, by the uh, superior Packers, even though in the <laughs> by the traditional measures the Packers didn't look better, but they were. Uh, and then also on the yeah. other side of that is the San Diego Chargers, who didn't even make the playoffs, but were um, Maybe the best team in the league last year. 
it could, well, efficient, you know, efficiency-wise, yeah, yeah, they were snake bitten by horrible special teams play. The the uh, the Packers were really interesting. People forget it, this is part of this, you know, sort of um, one of the things I'm fascinated by is sort of the psychology of it all, and people have this hindsight bias. You know, I bet if you polled most NFL fans right now and you asked them, you know, what did you think of the Green Bay Packers, you know, towards the end of the regular season? Uh, did you think they were Super Bowl bound or Super Bowl worthy team? You know, you probably say, oh yeah, yeah. You know, everybody was, oh sure, of course they were. But really, they were they were on the outside looking in in terms of even making the playoffs. I think it took the Giants to give up that uh, horrible punt at the end of the game to Philadelphia. Otherwise. The Packers wouldn't have even made the playoffs last year. The Giants would have, and uh, so they were. Packers were ten and six, and and so one of the th- first thing you need to do is ignore record, ignore a team's record. There's, there's, there's so much statistical random noise in, in, in a, such a short season. And you really have to go look under the hood, the hood, and look at the internal stats underneath everything to determine really how good a team is. So sure enough, that was that was a big story. The the, the Falcons. And the Packers met, and uh, my numbers came up and had the Packers as just overwhelming favorites at uh, Atlanta, and I got all kinds of hate mail. Um, but uh, but luckily, uh, I was vindicated, or the numbers were vindicated, I should say. And uh, yeah, the Packers, uh, yeah, the rest is history. Do you, do you sometimes feel like you sort of mentioned that that uh, either the temptation to or 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 the temptation from other parties to identify closely with the numbers. I mean, at some level, because of the site, you're sort of representing nerddom, you know, whether you want to or not. Uh, does this does, does this happen sometimes though, where you're like, where, um, you know, in your opinion, a clear favorite in Green Bay beats the sort of consensus, you know, favorite in Atlanta? Are you like, are you like, all right, nerds? Is that is that your reaction to that? <laughs> I, I find myself on Sunday. A lot of people, I guess, root for. You know, I, for, I root for my home team first. I, I kind of have multiple personalities when I when I watch football. Or and I had in real life too, I should and say, it, from the the times I've interacted with you, <laughs> serious multiple yeah. personality disorders. Yeah, my, that's true. My 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 wife might back that up, but I've got I've got my kind of hometown normal fan, you know, uh, kind of reaction to my hometown team, and then I've got this cold analytical uh, side to the sport and they're really sort of separate and last night uh, my team was playing on Sunday Night Football screaming yelling at the TV absolutely you know there's just no reason I mean rational thought is just nowhere in sight (laughs) and then you know any other game though I'm pretty pretty rational but I do because I kind of stick my neck out with these predictions and not everybody in, in the New York Times the readership is not you know, sort of number savvy the same way they would be on fan graphs. But so that I get a lot of, this is like me, I'm like Jimmy the Greek or something, just kind of pulling these numbers out of my butt. And they, so they're like, Brian's numbers, Brian says this, Brian Burke says that, but hey, this is just an efficiency model. This is as if, you know, if, if you were really, you know, if you were from Mars, you knew nothing else about this sport and all you were given were these numbers and you would identify which numbers really matter, which numbers really predict the winners. This is what you would. These, this is how you would assess the games, and it really does very well. I mean, especially considering it really it's kind of ignorant to, you know, a quarterback, you know, a star quarterback being injured or a star safety being out for a couple of games. So, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with its overall success rate, but I find myself 
rooting for the teams that were favored by the model every week just so that I can I guess I not not so I can say I was right but I can avoid the hate mail the next week yeah right well I noticed actually uh, while going into the Sunday night game at least uh, Baltimore's offense was looking pretty good and and I I don't think it performed particularly well last night although I still think Ray Rice is amazing Uh, what what is what's going on differently with Baltimore these days specifically well I think yeah they can chew up uh, they can chew up Bad defenses really well, um, and then they they uh, they you know the Jets defense is known to be one of the best in the league. So I wouldn't um, I wouldn't put too much stock in how poor they they did. They also they had a you know pretty healthy lead um, throughout most of the games, so that they were they were playing with a pretty much a mentality a risk mentality of don't 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 take a risk, don't risk the interception, throw the ball away hit the check down if you if you need to. Um, uh, plus, you know, so they had that mentality. Plus, they didn't really pass particularly well. Plus, I noticed, especially in the first half, they were going for these long bombs trying to stretch the field, um, which are actually pretty low-risk plays because even if it's an interception, it's like a 60-yard punt. It's not a bad deal. And that's kind of their style, really um, kind of these, these deep vertical threats. And when you do that, you're kind of putting your, a lot of eggs in one basket. You're, you're resting. You know, you're, if none of those, if none of those hit, none of those big long plays, uh, long pass patterns hit, you know, which are low probability, kind of low rate of success plays to begin with. If you don't get any of them, you put yourself behind the eight ball. So there's a lot of different things going on. Of course, when I talk about my own team, I'm completely irrational. I'm, I realize I'm defending them. Um, when I, I write for the Washington Post also and do a weekly Redskins. Uh, post on on the on the Washington Post, and it's usually ends up being so much harsher than than I expect it to be. But I guess that's a good thing. Well, I've also seen a little more objective. Yeah, that's an interesting environment because I've seen, uh, especially last year, I remember looking at a couple of posts you'd written about uh, Donovan McNabb, and the, the amount of vitriol that was spewed in your direction was <laughs> amazing. I mean, just shocking. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's curious. Yeah, it's, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone down this year, but uh, the 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 comments sometimes are are just savage when you criticize, you know, um, Clinton Portis, for example, was just beloved, and he's just a real popular guy, especially in some parts of the community in D.C. And uh, he, he was, you know, he had a couple pretty good years in D.C. and, and on the Redskins, and it was obvious his time had pretty much come and gone, and. Um, you know, I was writing just how, about how poorly he's been doing and, you know, how, how expensive he, he is. I mean, he's one of these overpriced veterans. He does some great things. He does pick up the blitz really well. Um, he seems to be a pretty good team player, you know, willing to, you know, kind of take any role, except he did cause some problems there, um, for a couple of years. And so I, you know, I wrote some, you know, not, they weren't personal or anything. They're just kind of honest critiques, you know, just uh, of his, you know, what he's costing the team. And oh my God, you know, it's like I said, you know, Cal Ripken, you know, should be, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, should be hauled off in, in handcuffs or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's how much some people love the guy. Yeah, well, that, and that's an interesting thing that happens in, in uh, certainly baseball writing quite a bit too. Is you find that. Um, uh, fans and, and sports writers, I'm, I'm thinking of more specifically, aren't always um, 
able to differentiate between how much joy they get out of watching a player, you know, maybe just even on, a, on an aesthetic level, um, whether mm-hmm. it's because they like, you know, the, how a player moves or if it's because they like how much effort he gives. They're not able to distinguish yeah, that yeah. from, like, what he's doing in terms of putting, you know, putting points on the board. Um, well, yeah, sure. I mean, it, you know, that's funny. I'm, I'm dreaming up this post about how right now about uh, – I want to write an article about how college – in college, you know, we make these, these football players and we make them study accounting and we make them study, uh, you know, uh, and make them be history majors or whatever, you know, whatever academic course of study. But the ancient Greeks actually had a, they had it right. You know, they had aesthetics and ethics and academics and drama and music and athletics too. And athletics is, is a, you know, an, a human art just like any of those others. And, you know, you can go to college and study music and drama and art, but somehow athletics is like, no, that doesn't really count as an art. You you can't really major in that. You're going to have to study uh, business administration and then, you know, play football on the weekends. But really, if you judge by, you know, how many eyeballs it gets on TV and ticket revenue, athletics is our favorite human art, and it's really an art form. And so I can appreciate that. I can understand the sports writers, um, you know, but... They, they have their job, I guess, uh, you know, the data, the stat hits, we have our job too, but, uh, I have a little bit more sympathy for those, those kind of narrative fallacy, uh, monsters who write those columns every week. It's hard. I mean, once I kind of signed up for some of that and you have to write something every week and come up with something original and interesting or controversial every week, it's hard. And, uh, so I can, I can kind of forgive them for some of the, some of the junk they, they throw out there. Right. Yeah. Well, certainly, at, uh, um, of course, at Fangraphs, we've just been hiring some new writers, and, and that's actually that's one of the things that you never necessarily even know when you hire a new writer is the degree to which he or she will be able to, re- you know, repeat that quality of content. You know, because if you have a lot of time, you can produce a great article, but the question is, can I can I repeat that? You know, and that's that's the hardest thing when writing about sports because. You know, certainly at Fangraphs, you can get bogged down in being like, oh, let's look at this player and his strikeout rate and whether it's just, you know, the sample size is significant, mm-hmm. et cetera. But, you know, where, where you have to have some narrative quality, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, yeah, yeah. to push it forward. And that's one of the great – I have – I actually have you to thank. Well, I always want to thank you. you. You came to me beginning of last year and you said, hey, here's an idea. How about if you, you had me as a writer – and I had this you know, kind of one-man shop, and I thought, God, I'm such a control freak. And then I said, well, you know, actually, actually, I'm a fan of, of Carson, so, yeah, let's let's do this. I kind of um, threw caution to the wind and, and then kind of opened my eyes and thought, this is working out really well. Let's add some more people. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited. I hope, uh, you know, get some fresh blood and fresh perspective and kind of my old kind of stale perspective might um, – uh, you know, I might learn some things myself. Well, there's definitely, yeah, I mean, there's definitely an advantage to having, I know that, um, you know, once a year, Fangraphs, we get together, uh, you know, we have at least the last couple of years in Arizona uh, during spring training, and the sort of dialogue that we create there, you know, even if we're not talking about, like, specific article ideas, just the fact, just to, to have so many perspectives on the game and chart people together at once, um, and of course, we get it throughout the year, reading each other's writing, but Having those sort of mm-hmm. dialogues is really helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and one day, you know, maybe um, we can, uh, 
we can do the same thing on on this side of the house and i mean kind of i hope i hope uh i hope the site continues to grow and you know like i said you know fangrass is is kind of my benchmark um you know just like uh you know i'm like the volkswagen to fangrass audi maybe <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> that's a good metaphor. We'll never quite get there. Yeah. You know, Fangrass will keep getting better. You know, we'll never quite get there, but it doesn't mean, you know, that's what, that's kind of direction we're aiming. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Brian, we'll, uh, we'll leave on that, uh, on that uh, sort of lucid bit of metaphor there. Um, but, uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us on Fangrass. And I would say, uh, uh, at the risk of, of compliments, uh, of, you know, too much um, mutual complimenting. Uh, mutual <laughs> admiration that no, but I think that it's nice that, that there's something going on that you know because I I mean the reason I originally and the reason I think people do generally uh, want to write for Fangrass is because they like the project and you know that was certainly my interest in, in joining Advanced NFL Stats because the project has some integrity to it and um, is is very interested in um, I guess full disclosure and you know but, but also you know trying to do good work simultaneously. Um, so I think that's the exciting yeah. part, and, and I hope that uh, you know. And, I, and you know, obviously, the the game because of the fluid nature of it is a little bit more opaque. But hopefully, uh, you know, um, we're able to find new ways to explore the game and and uh, understand what's going on with it. Yeah, and most important thing to me is it's fun. You know, it's 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 uh it's fun to do this for me. So you know, it's not it doesn't the site doesn't make any money really. It's it's uh it's all just uh it's all just kind of a blast. It gives me. I've learned so much just in terms of not just statistics, but kind of human psychology and, uh, um, learned, you know, a lot of the way, you know, the ropes in the media and, uh, um, you know, web design, even, um, you know, coding. And it's just taught me so much. It's, it's a lot of fun. Right. All of the most fun things in life, what you just named. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't help get me any chicks. Um, but, uh, well, you appear to be very, at least you, by your own admission, here, so it's not. Yeah, uh, that's true. I, I I got married about a year ago, and uh, um, so it's. But for most of its existence, I guess I was single. Maybe it was help keeping me that way. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we're seriously going to leave now. But thank you for joining us, Brian. Okay. Thank you. All right. That's Brian Burke. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio.